Welcome to a special grocery shop edition of our OmniTalk Spotlight series. I'm your host, Ann Mazinga, joined by Chris Walton, and we are the founders of OmniTalk, a content platform dedicated to researching the people, the companies, and the technologies that are shaping the future of retail. Before we get started today, we'd like to take a moment to thank our special grocery shop sponsors, Cleveron. Cleveron is a full-service package handover partner offering in and outdoor locker solutions to retailers and grocers worldwide. Thanks to more than 13 years of experience and partnerships with the biggest names in the business, Cleveron is one step ahead of the challenges retailers face, creating innovative robotic solutions that save space, time, and money. And untie knots. Untie Knots is a European-based tech company now coming to North America. Their SaaS solution, Loyalty Challenge, uses hyper-personalization and gamification to digitally engage shoppers and grow share of wallet for retail clients and brands. All right, Chris, are you ready? I am ready. Let's Ann. get on with the show. Let's do it. So as the adoption of online grocery ordering, curbside pickup, and contactless payments has increased, Grocery retailers are constantly having to pivot to handle new kinds of fraud associated with these shopping behaviors. Now, Signified is one of our Ask an Expert partners. Yes, uh, they so are. Everybody should check out that series because this is quickly becoming one of Chris and my favorite companies to talk to. Every time we leave these conversations, we have like we have like cocktail store party stories. We have dinner conversations for months after. It comes up in our Fast Five podcast. It came up every in our, single week. It yeah, that's this, this, this past week. Too. Yeah. yeah. So we brought back one of our favorite experts on this topic, Signified CMO Indy Guha. Indy, welcome back to the show. Great to be back and um, very excited to uh, to be hanging out here at Grocery Shop. Yeah, we are too. Um, we always love when your mellifluous voice makes a guest yes. appearance on on the, on the OmniTalk podcast series. You've been brushing up your SAT words. Uh, I try. I try. That's Chris's MO. I don't know if I can much. say that again. That's actually really hard to say. <laughs> uh, well, Indy, for those people who are at Grocery Shop who may not know you yet, may, they may not know about Signified. Tell them why they should uh, know who you are and uh, give us a little bit of your background as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so let's uh, let's start with the boring part first. Me, uh, Indy Guha. I lead marketing and partnerships and a chunk of our enterprise products at Signified. Uh, before joining Signified, I was an investor in the company because I used to work at Bain Capital, leading a lot of e-commerce technology and fintech investments. And to be honest, um, many of the retailers Bain Capital invested in, the Blue Niles of the world, the Canada Gooses, uh, Michael Stores, were kind of my learning curve for understanding where merchants encountered pain points as they scaled. Um, so that was kind of the universe of really um, digging into growth pains that led me to originally invest in Signified almost five years ago, and then just seeing the impact join full-time three years ago. So it's been a blast. And what do you, what does Signified do? What was it that you yeah. were like, this company is amazing. I need to be a part of it. What is that pain point? <laughs> if I had to boil it down, it is all about understanding the identity and the intent of every checkout attempt, every payment. Gotcha. Who's behind it and what are they trying to accomplish? So Signified sits in the checkout flows of Walmart and Lenovo and, you know, Samsung, uh, Wish.com, some of the world's largest retailers. And as a, as a result of that, 98% of the time or better, 
we've seen a specific shopper before. We've seen them this week. And we know if they are a high value shopper versus a stolen identity and a fraud attempt, we know if they're a high lifetime value shopper versus somebody who's serially abusive across our merchant base um, and can help the merchant automatically decision whether to accept the order. Um, so certainly that's helpful for fraud prevention and we'll, we'll talk about that today. But to be honest, our, our biggest reason to exist is closing the gap on conversion rates. Um, so if you had to summarize it, and this is Visa's data, on average, after 25 years of e-commerce, if 100 people had tried to hit buy, we as an industry only let through about 85 to 88%. Really? And the reason for that is we're all overcompensating for the fear of fraud, but average intrinsic fraud pressure is 1%. So good traffic that gets declined is somewhere between 11 and 14% of transaction attempts. And Andy, why is that? Because I know something that we learned on, on the last time we interviewed someone else at your company, Bennett. Um, there was a startling realization that I had in that podcast that neither Anna yeah. and I knew, which was that generally speaking, the retailers in an online situation are liable for the fraud. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, so if you can speak a little bit about that, because I think it's important for everyone to realize that because not everyone might be up to speed on that. And so hence, there's the proclivity, like you said, to, you know, take precautions or maybe be overly cautious on the amount of traffic that you're letting through yeah. to convert on your website, right? Yeah. And, you know, certainly for our audience today at Grocery Shop, which as a category is newer to e-commerce, right. mm-hmm. um, that that shift is not well understood oftentimes. Uh, and it's a big deal in what's historically been a low margin business, which we'll talk about. But long story short, any card not present transaction, which is all digital commerce and by the way, all phone orders, right. um, because the retailer chose to accept a card not present transaction, uh, it's on them if it ends up being fraudulent. That is not the case for a physical card swipe or tap in an in-store point-of-sale checkout. And Indy, will you clarify one thing for me? Because when we were talking with Bennett, he mentioned that's true in like um, Apple Pay too, correct? Apple Apple Pay is yeah. considered a card not present transaction. So in this world of contactless payments increasing, Square taking doing contactless payments, like that that's the case there too. Is that right? It, it, that's correct. And, you know, this will be one of our topics later in the conversation, but the lines between what is a card not present digital transaction right. and yes. what is an in-store uh-huh. transaction just keep getting blurrier, right? Because right. so many major retailers are introducing in-store contactless checkout. Um, they have mobile apps and while you're in their store, you can place an order on the mobile app right? and you have a stored payment identity in, in that app, which means even though you're standing in the store, it counts as a card not present transaction, and you can walk out with the goods. And so those are the types of use cases that have become increasingly common in the last three years. And consumers have those expectations of the grocery industry. So enabling all of that means what might have been 5% of your transactions were card not present digital or so, is suddenly 50%. Right. Um, and that materially impacts your exposure to chargebacks, fraud liability, and ultimately 
for the CFOs in the audience, how you have to think about your profit pool. Um, Cause that can be a pretty major drain on a thin profit margin. Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned the, the pain points for scale, right? I mean, that's, I think that's, you know, being a grocery shop, let's click into that because you know, you just said it there. Penetration rates have, you know, historically been very, very low, mm-hmm. right? In e-commerce, but now that's exploding. And there's probably, that's, and that's why I brought up the question too, because there's probably a lot of, of merchants at grocers of every shape and size, especially as you get down to the local and regional grocers who are probably not even cognizant of that fact that that's how things work. And then as this continues to scale as a form of business, that being online for them, this is going to become more problematic for them. So, so what are you seeing in the grocery industry as e-commerce has exploded over these last couple of years under the pandemic as mm-hmm. it relates to fraud? Like, are, is it pretty much consistent challenges? Are there new challenges? What's going on in this field for grocery specifically? Yeah, there, there's a lot here. I will, I will do my best to boil it down. And maybe, <laughs> honestly, the easiest headline I can offer is this is a CEO level issue for the world's most sophisticated grocers. Mm-hmm. Um, who we have the privilege of working with. So, you know, John Ferner at Walmart has mm-hmm. said in so many words, once you find something that consumers enjoy and is working, it's it's great only until they find something better. Mm-hmm. By the way, he was using this to describe things like curbside pickup, right? which has been huge in grocery in the last year and a half. Consumers do love it. Adoption rates are off the chart. You can't put that genie back in the bottle. Right. No. Um, so that is the new default expectation if you want to compete and retain customer loyalty. So I'll, I'll continue the quote: "Loyalty in retail is the absence of something better," which is <laughs> which is gut wrenching. You're only as good as her options, right? <laughs> but if the CEO of Walmart is self verbalizing that sentiment, right. I think the rest of us, if, if they're willing to be that paranoid, the rest of us should be that paranoid. Um, and then from the Albertson CEO, you know, uh, Vivek Sankaran, he phrased it as the fastest growing category in grocery is drive up and go, because that's where the customer is in control. I decide when I want to show up and I'm not waiting for you. So you put these two quotes together and that is the challenge and the opportunity for every grocer here, right? How do you meet customer experience expectations while making those channels profitable um, and scalable. And so the biggest challenge is how do you automate order flow for this very fast cycle channel while protecting yourself against fraud and chargebacks because there's no shipping address. right? And you don't have the time to manually tinker through the order before you decide if it's good or not. So you have to automatically let it through. I'd say that's sort of the headline. We can unpack that a bunch of different ways. Well, Indy, I mean, would you say you mentioned like the manual process is, you know, one, this is a new process, newer process for the grocery industry. It's a very manual process. Would you say that that is like the number one thing that you're seeing the grocery industry dealing with is, you know, how do I fill these orders and how do I like decide which ones are real and which ones are fraudulent in, in that very short window that we're given these days with grocery delivery and pickup? Um, yes. And I think to unpack it a little, there's only so efficient you can be on pick and pack time, right? Your store associates have a million things they have to do. Um, they need 
some some buffer. They need wiggle right. room to fulfill these orders and have them be ready for the shopper when they drive up. Uh, so anything that isn't pick and pack time, anything that is either side of store associate contributions has to be where the automation occurs. Uh, so any type of legacy process where you've got a group of people scanning orders as they come in to test for fraud, for example, uh, just doesn't work. And I'll, I'll bring this back to um, one of the other trends we previewed. What if the shopper behavior is, I'm going to pull out my Albertsons app while I'm standing in a Safeway or an Albertsons location, mm-hmm. add things to cart, and I expect to walk out with those goods. Right. I mean, that's where the world is going. Scan and go, right. And now you, now you really can't, you literally cannot have any type of manual delay. Right. Because it, it's got to immediately go to pick and pack. That's the shopper promise. Right. So I think that that mindset of automation um, is, is a big shift. Now, if you really want to dig into it, the challenges for most of grocery were coming from a loss prevention mindset, right? Okay. Take the highest value items and the most stolen items and lock them behind a glass case. Loss prevention is orthogonal to customer experience. In many cases, they are mutually incompatible. So you can't just bring that same mindset. It's, it's not going to work. Um, said differently, if, if the channel you're trying to unlock is curbside pickup, right? someone's driving in with a mask on and they've got a phone order confirmation, they're opening their trunk and the expectation is they will peel out as soon as you put the boxes in the trunk. That's not compatible with keeping products behind a glass box. So Indy, I'm curious, like you, you just, yeah, I think you just alluded to one there, but to give everyone a sense for those listening, what are some of the examples of fraud that you see in this type of situation? So yes, you know, it can be hard for the grocers to manually process everything from a fraud standpoint in that window of time. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the actual, you know, card carrying examples you see of, of people committing fraud, whether it's curbside pickup, a scan and go situation, whatever it is? Yeah. So let's make a distinction on what types of products are more fraud prone for this okay category. that'd be great yeah um generally it's going to be things that are shelf stable non-perishable right and ha- have an aftermarket right so really common examples you can immediately map this to the things you see in a grocery store locked up locked alcohol, alcohol tobacco baby food etc um razor blades stuff like that yeah Right. Um, Really easy things to turn around and sell. Um, What is a growing trend, which we can come back to on the perishable side, is actually abuse, not fraud. So your adversary is not stolen credit card being monetized by organized crime. Your adversary is actually, unfortunately, a quote unquote legitimate shopper who's trying to take advantage of your return policies to get free stuff. Like give a, uh, yeah. what is an example? Yeah, like share that now. Yeah. Um, I bought a box of avocados. There were 24 in the box. Three were brown. I'm not paying for it. You can have them back if you want. And almost inevitably for the grocer, it's not worth it to take the avocados back. Right. So it's a, okay, keep it. We'll, 
refund you the purchase amount. Okay. Now, in that moment, as a retailer, you have to make a judgment call, which is really hard without network data of, does this person do this every time? Mm-hmm. Um, and Zero how do use. I route the claim? How do I treat the claim? Um, so I would say those are the two attack vectors that okay. as kind of digital transactions increase. Retailers have to be mindful of both. More fraud on non-perishables, abuse on perishables. The way the fraud, coming back to your question, Chris, would manifest is really um, two channels. One is, and we alluded to this, kind of curbside pickup theft. It's way easier to steal from a retailer when you don't have to burn a delivery address because the delivery address is the store. Right. Um, expedited fulfillment means the retailer is less likely to catch the fraud in action. Okay. Um, and, you know, generally speaking, you can designate an alternate to pick up an order, which means you as a fraudster don't even have to burn a primary identity. You can send what's called a mule. Yes. Um, someone to accept the order on your behalf for a small amount of money or at the extreme, you could co-opt a task rabbit or, you know, pick your on-demand gig worker app to pick up your order for you. This is so remarkable. That's fascinating. So yeah, the mule concept, right? So like, so instead of the mule operating other house on behalf of somebody else and getting their product shipped and then shipping on, they can literally just have somebody act that way at the grocery store to pick up lots and lots of liquor or lots Mm -hmm. and lots of tobacco and then resell it somewhere later. That's, that's crazy to me. Wow. Scary never, but true. I've never thought about that. Well, what are some what are some exa- what are some good case studies you can give us then based on I think kind of I would say two things Andy that tell us exactly what it is you guys do and how you help solve these problems for retailers and that also maybe illustrate the scope and and the size of what retailers are potentially dealing with here. Yeah, sure. Um what we're doing is, you know, I'll go back to sort of two key words, identity and intent. If you see enough transactions, we see hundreds of billions of dollars of transactions a year, you do have a real-time feed of how shoppers are behaving and which identities have been compromised. And more importantly, which identities are good and are worth a, a serious lifetime value stream to the retailer. Mm. Uh, zooming all the way out, I, I know the fraud stories make for dramatic storytelling, <laughs> but to be totally honest, the bigger opportunity in grocery is not fraud prevention. It's saying yes to all of all of these potential high value shoppers, right? Right. Right. Um, it's things like if I, as a grocer, now have a mobile app. I've got a chance to have a two-way communication stream with a household that is always on. Mm. I can invest in habit formation. I can box out Amazon Whole Foods. Um, I can have highly personalized assortment because I have that closed loop feedback with my shopper. Right. That's the opportunity. Um, So, you know, how do we enable that? It's, knowing on behalf of the retailer by pooling data across retailers, which households are worth um, saying yes to. So saying yes to more orders and therefore opening up that lifetime value stream. Uh, It can also manifest as 
when you get that phone call, that customer support issue or in-app ticket issue of, I want to cancel this order or there's a problem with this order, a retailer is that, a grocer is that legitimate or is that serially abusive behavior? And how should you triage that from a profitability perspective? Um, So I think those are some of the revenue-oriented use cases we're trying to power by pooling that network data. Obviously, it also means we we know when an identity has been compromised. We know when a device has been compromised. We're looking at hundreds of variables, right? Um, how you type on your phone is a variable we look at. Hmm. Different people type differently. If it's a hijacked identity, we'd actually know that based on how you interact with the device. So that's the kind of thing that allows us to open up that revenue equation while keeping out the actual fraud. It, it, we're not we're not naive to the existence of theft. Well, and Indy, you just made me think of something yeah, too. I mean, it. I realize that you not only have like an exposure to the identity of one individual, I imagine you, you know, the entire household then too. So like you have the data of that, of the kids, the parents, the grandparents living in the home. Like it's not just you, because of your collection of partners, you have visibility into so much more than I think just that one person. And if that one person's account has been fraudulent or if, is that the case? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the really interesting ways that manifests is actually gifting behavior, Okay. which Mm. less applicable for grocery, although as groceries get into local delivery of alcohol, that could change. Um, But essentially, any traditional kind of checkout and and fraud prevention system has a really hard time with gifting because the shipping and the billing address don't match. And that's a big tell in a traditional mindset of stolen credit card, right? If you stole a credit card and you had to ship it to your house, the shipping and the billing address wouldn't match. Um, so because we know the full kind of family graph and social graph for so many households, we can actually let those transactions through. Because, uh, you know, look, let's assume you're sending groceries to a friend's house because there's a barbecue happening and you're going to yeah. go there yeah. and you want the goods to meet you there. Right? right. That would look like a fraudulent order traditionally, but we have seen e-commerce activity between those two addresses before. Oh, wow. You probably okay. send the same friend a bottle of wine on another occasion. Right. Um, so we can map that in and say yes to the order. And this is, it. I think, this is really important for, especially I think the executives who are listening, the grocery executives who are listening to this podcast right now too. Indy, tell us a little bit about like, what, what are you seeing on the ground floor? Like what are fraud prevention teams or the, the teams that are, cause they are teams. It's not like one or two people are, are watching this. It's from the sounds of it. And from talking to people from your team, these are hundreds of people that, that are on staff that are trying to manage these you know, as quickly as they can to fulfill um, these customer orders in time. What what are you uh, seeing like the benefits of having worked with you have been for those teams? Um, are they, you know, explain a little bit about that if you would. Right. Um, so it, it, at an executive level, folks would articulate the benefit as higher revenue, higher conversion rates, kind of lower operating expense because you physically cannot power things like curbside pickup fast enough without an automated system. 
it, 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 the cost of doing that with humans is prohibitive. Um, and then kind of lower chargebacks, right? Um, so typically we might see a five to 7% higher conversion rate in just revenue alone. And the rest of it is noise. Um, now, I think a, a more evocative example of the sort of things we're powering is that in-store mobile app checkout scan and go scenario, right? Because now it's not even like, oh, I'm doing my grocery shopping for the week from home on a Sunday night and I expect to pick up the groceries on Monday afternoon after work. It's I'm in your store and I expect you to have it ready. Better yet, and this is a, a, a use case for powering for one of the world's largest grocers, Right. I don't want to talk to a human. I'm mm -hmm. literally going to check out on my app because there's a stored credential and I'm going to pick up the goods and walk out. Um, and if for some reason the payment fails, then I'll talk to a cashier, but otherwise there is no physical checkout step. Um, that is, that requires an instant decision, instant understanding of identity and intent. And then the person gets to walk out. Um, so that's the use case that I think is going to become very common mm -hmm. over the next couple of years. And, you know, to your question, and there's amazing expertise among the fraud teams that are working on these issues today. Right. But there's no amount of expertise that can solve that use case. Right. You have to have an instant decision. And, and right. to be honest, it, it helps be. if you've got a technology partner that can absorb the cost of the fraud. Right. Because structurally, yeah. you know, something for the whole grocery industry to think about is if physical grocery stores become forward deployed distribution centers and shoppers aren't spending time inside the store, what does that mean for trade promo dollars? Shelf placement becomes irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And so the brands paying for shelf placement are going to ask themselves why they're doing that, right? So in that universe as a grocery store, you have to have fully automated processes that allow you to serve these customer experiences um, meet the shopper where they are without hurting your profitability. And you said something too, I want to, in the context of what you, what you just described, and that's some point you brought out before too, that I want to come back to that I was waiting in, in case this came up again, which was you also have the ability here with what you're doing to create a more personalized experience by way of that mobile phone, right? Because, because you inherently know who that customer is in all these situations we've talked about, right? Then you can, you can give the retailer the confidence that they can speak to them in a different way than they probably could before, right? And therefore make a better experience however they're engaging with that retailer or that grocer at that given time. Is that right? Are you seeing anyone like get a hold of that idea and, and trying to do even something above and beyond with, with, with the data that you're able to provide? Yeah, it's a great question. We haven't extended our data. We, we certainly see every checkout down to the SKU level. We haven't extended that to effectively a marketing personalization use case. Interesting. Okay. Um, it is something we've contemplated. It's something many of our customers have asked us for. Um, I think the level of personalization we are enabling today is things like making sure your checkout doesn't get rejected. Right, right. That's, I mean, that's, that's a big one, yeah. That, uh, that went off. Or to Anne's point earlier, multiple members in your household 
can can kind of be triangulated and mapped to the same loyalty experience and mobile app experience so that all of them can access your promo codes. You, um, so one of our use cases is preventing promo code abuse. Right. It, again, goes back to identity and intent. Groceries always had a promotionally heavy model and barring a handful of people like Trader Joe's. And for that promo model, you need to make sure a fraudster isn't using it to just steal stuff from you at low cost. Um, but or conversely, you can control who can access the promo in the mobile app. And so we're able to map all of that um, through for our grocery clients. Interesting. Andy, as you think about, you know, what you all the work that you've been doing in the grocery industry specifically, um, we have a lot of people who are at grocery shop listening to this. What advice would you have for grocery retailers who are hearing this? They they acknowledge they've got to do something about this. This is this is creeping up on their list of priorities here. What would you be telling them? Um, the unsolicited two cents would be stop asking yourselves if it's going to go back. It's not going back. Right. Uh, digital first transactions. And an omni-channel fulfillment is absolutely what consumers expect. And any grocer's relevance in the next 10 years is going to depend on meeting that expectation. Because the bar is Amazon plus Whole Foods, Amazon Prime plus Whole Foods. And that is going to anchor consumer expectations. I'd say the other unsolicited two cents would be if you're going to go down that road of meeting those expectations, try to, if you have the scale for it, own the experience end to end versus going with third parties like Instacart. Because the challenge in this movie is played out over and over yep. again, mm-hmm. is if you build somebody else's network, the customer becomes their customer. Yep. And that perpetuates this question of does the store get reduced to just a distribution center mm-hmm. or Um, So I think the beauty with the grocery industry is there's there's such high purchase frequency, right? That the grocery industry kind of invented loyalty cards. Mm -hmm. The only reason that's possible (laughs) is because of how often people go to their neighborhood grocer and there's such a rich set of data there. So I think if folks like Albertsons and Walmart are embracing their role of kind of owning that data and figuring out how to have a direct relationship with the consumer, um, others can kind of follow that lead and, and seize that opportunity. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. It feels like we're seeing more grocers get the punchline to that joke. But the first, your first piece of unsolicited advice, I want to just ask you about that. Are you still hearing that, that people, that there are some grocers out there that still think we're going to go back to the old way of life? Is that, is that, a, is that a predominant theme in the conversations you're having at this point in time? I think the startup costs of building really world-class omni-channel is high. And when faced with biting that off, folks tend to look for competing narratives on whether they should. Wow. That probably drives a bit of a mindset to say, well, you know, stores are reopening, economies are reopening, don't people like wandering the aisles? Sometimes grocery isn't a planned purchase, it's a um, impulse buy. So let's not overdo it 
on the digital first. Right. That's wild to me. That's wild to me. I mean, you I mean you said that uh, the bar is, I think you said Whole Foods and Amazon Prime. And in reality, the bar in a few years is quite possibly going to be Amazon Prime plus Amazon Fresh, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother side of the equation too that everyone yeah. needs to think about. And so, Amazon Go, and they have right. all these like micro retail concepts popping up uh, in different markets that they're testing. And in yeah. all cases, you just authenticate with your mobile app and it's a, it's a touchless experience. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why we do the show. That's why we have guys like you on to keep keep stumping the horse to say, or keep whatever, riding the horse, I guess. I don't think you stumped the horse. I don't know. But, uh, don't even know that expression I don't know. either. So. <laughs> keep, you know, keep getting on the horse to tell the story of why people need to pay attention to this type of stuff. So, Well, Indy, it was wonderful to have you on the show today. Um, I know you and the team are at Grocery Shop. Can you tell our listeners um, where they can get in touch with you uh, either at the show or after the show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we covered a lot of ground today. I, I hope I was able to distill some, some key concepts for folks, but certainly happy to keep brainstorming and keep unpacking any questions you have. Uh, I'll be at booth 711. Uh, hopefully that's easy enough to remember. I'm surprised um, that one was available. <laughs> yes, yes, I am too. Uh, it's catchy. Um, we're also hosting a networking dinner on Monday night at the Catch restaurant at the Aria. Um, so for folks who want to meet, you know, peers in the industry and, and talk through these exact trade-offs and the cost and the customer experience benefit uh, over some good food, uh, please reach out. I'd be happy to figure out if uh, we've got a spot for you. Uh, but in the meantime, Chris and always a pleasure to spend time with both of you. And thanks for having me on. Likewise. Thank you so much, Indy. Um, Stay tuned for more grocery shop content coming up in the days ahead. Make sure to stop by and see Indy and the team at Signified at Booth 711. And as always, be careful out there.